everybody, I'm Roxy. And I'm Priska. And we are the two horny girls! We're just two horny girls climbing the mountain of life, eating Asian American stereotypes for breakfast! Breakfast here! Breakfast there! Oh, breakfast everywhere! You better pour your cereal first because people that pour their milk first are sociopaths. <laughs> you heard exactly. it here first. Exactly. You hear it here first. <laughs> knowledge bomb. You know, actually, when we used to do this yeah. in the very beginning, yeah. um, we used to be like, hey, I'm Roxy. I'm Rosa. We're the two Nikos. <laughs> and now everything has changed. You're welcome, everybody. How are you guys? How are you feeling? How are you, How you doing? doing? Nah. Honestly, oh we God. just recorded another episode. We did. Right but we are hot. We are ready. Priska. So. Yes. Uh, yes. Have you heard of House of Ho? Have you heard of Bling Empire? Yes, I actually watched both of them. And oh my God. Um, yeah, okay, so what did you watch? Did you watch both of them too? I watched um, Bling Empire because everybody was talking about it. Everybody and their mom was talking about it. Everybody yeah. and their mom was and talking it about in LA, it. So it's like kind of fun. Yeah, and then I haven't heard of House of Ho, but then you told me to watch an yes. episode, so I did. So yes. I watched one episode. I have to be honest, this is not really my thing, so it's hard for me to binge watch these yeah, episodes, but yeah. I could. Feel their appeal. Yeah. So are you one of these people that fell into the type of yes, yes, or you're on the fence about? I'm definitely in the camp where like if trashy TV's on, like I won't turn it off. Yeah. And I will get caught up in the drama and the hot goss. Like I'm all about it, even though I don't actively seek it out. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like yeah. it's on my TV. Like I'm not going to do anything. <laughs> um, of the two, I actually really appreciated some of the commentary House of Ho had, like, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of like um gender roles in asian families and like you know um deference to your parents and like first asian male having a certain credence within the family Mm -hmm. um and so i i found that a little more wholesome and interesting even though it was like equally i think vapid yeah um but and then bling empire was like it was fun to see la pre-covid it was fun to see like these super you know daft rich people that were just really that's their whole life is having money and and knowing what to do with it so it's like so removed from reality that it was almost like i almost took it in as like a fiction um but how did you feel about the representation right because a lot of these were probably produced shortly after crazy rich asians was like a huge box office success you know and so Mm -hmm. like usually like in hollywood things come in threes or sixes or whatever it is you know how do you feel in terms of representation what did this do for us you know what preska I think all of this really did start when Crazy Rich Asians became like an unexpected box office hit. Right. Because it was supposed to just be like a rom com. Yeah. It was just like another studio film set up for the slate, but no one had any idea how much appeal it was going to have. And I think the big people took that the wrong way Mm. and they're like, this is what people actually want to see. So let's just step and repeat. Let's step and repeat and then also let's digest this in a Kardashian type of way. So then basically the formula is very much the same. They're just changing the upper layer, the top layer of it, but not going deep enough for us to really know the differences, right? So it's like replacing the Kardashians with Asian people and that's really it, but there's no... You're not excavating anything. You're not really, truly getting to know these characters. No. It's just so shallow. And, yeah. like, as much as I appreciate trash television during a pandemic era, yeah. and it's something that we all need, is this the right time and place for something like this? I mean, 
I know it's tough because like like did you watch K Town back when it was um on MTV? Mm-mm. So K Town was like very much in the vein of like the hills or like real world or whatever it was, but uh-huh. it was all like K Town kids, you know? Right. And it was like yeah, it was definitely deemed trashy, but it was technically not a completely inaccurate take on K Town, but it was very two D. It was very like. We drink soju. Like we have drama. We eat Korean barbecue. Yeah. And I don't even know if I know the answer to this. I I don't know if this is a step up or a step back. I don't think it's any of that mm. because I feel like it's just adding another drop into the ocean. Okay, we're yeah. not going to remember this. Like you don't think, no yeah. matter how many seasons Bling Empire has or House of Ho has, I don't think it has the ability to like keep up with the Kardashians like 20 seasons. Yeah. Right. But I don't think it has that sort of hook. Mm-hmm. I think it'll die out fairly quickly, okay. to be honest. Okay. Like, I don't think it has the depth and substance. Like, I don't know if you feel invested. Like, are you farther in Bling Empire? Like, do you feel invested in these people? I mean, I do love Anna Shea, though. But do you Anna feel? Shea, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I feel like if it if what we want is a 3D, 360 degree view of Asians. This is not a pervasive part of the population, but it's still part of it. So part of me is like, well, it's important that we have this representation. It's important that even if it's vapid, it's important that we're showing it. You know what I mean? Because it's like we want this all-encompassing view. But my caveat to that is... If we only have one or two shots, like, why is this the thing we're focusing on? Because this is such a minor subset, you know? But that's so true because I think what I'm getting from what you just said Mm. is that it all comes down to timing. Yeah, right. Because we always want to be, like, a very clear example is recently, so I'm casting for my next movie, which is happening in, like, a week and a half. Holy shit. So exciting. uh, It's so exciting. It features an Asian-American, you know, cast at the front and talks about this mother and daughter. I can't really talk too much about the project but there is this scenario where um we're talking about casting the boyfriend of the lead who is asian and i thought you know he's supposed to be like a downbeat boyfriend and become sort of like a mother taking care of her son rather than a romantic relationship right. because she ends up just taking care of him but not really being an equal partner right and then sort of about codependency check out our last episode yeah. if you haven't episode so, four episode four mm-hmm. so basically i was like how about we cast an asian guy for it because you know asian men there's also ones who haven't succeeded and i want to be able to paint a full picture of our experiences you know like we're all normal people right right well can we normalize that in the literally the studio was just like we cannot show any minority as a downbeat right now like anyone who's not a straight white man can't have this role and i was like oh my god and in a way they're right because (laughs) because we have these i think for good reason we have these diversity clauses that are being put into a lot of contracts and a lot of projects correct yes but in in a way it's like these diversity clauses were potentially written in a way where it's like actually not benefiting the group that it's intended to to benefit. Right. You know, right. Entrapment. Everything is, is social political right yeah, now in yeah. every single role, like playing the villain. And in a way, it's a good thing, like being able to do more work yeah. to understand a character or why we become the way we are. But it can't be like we sort of talked about on our last episode regarding Soul, mm. the colonization that has yeah. been done to films and stories and media in a way 
in this climate, we have to be very specific and careful about what we choose to represent. Yeah. So this yeah. sort of goes back to Bling Umpire. Is this the good time to be showing this right now when there's so much hate towards Asians with the coronavirus and like everyone just sort of marginalizing yeah. and stereotyping people for what they see on a monitor. This is a big reason why we wanted to do this episode. Yep. Um, obviously, Roxy and I, we are both Asian American women. And I think down the line, um, we'd love to do a more focused talk on Asian American men representation because yes, absolutely. This, that it has, it's so problematic in so many ways and so hurtful and so emasculating, et cetera. Um, but today, we just kind of want to focus on Asian Americans in general. Yeah, right? because this is sort of, uh, we are speaking from our personal experiences yeah. and we understand that our experiences don't define all of it. You know, like our podcast is just one. One in a sea of so many viewpoints, you know? Mm -hmm. Exactly. And I personally, you know, felt that this was important because for the longest time, and I'm sure many of you resonate with this, is that I've always felt like the side character growing up. Yeah, yeah. Did you feel like that? I did. I think it was both. I think sometimes I was like, oh, I'm only going to be the side character. And sometimes I internalized myself as white. Ah, you know. So it was like I related to Mandy Moore, even though... Externally, nobody would, you know, compare me to Mandy Moore. <laughs> um, but like, you know what I'm saying? Like I'd watch rom-coms and I would internalize myself as like a white woman, which is also very, very problematic. Interesting. Yeah. So when you were growing up, who did you resonate with in terms of like actors, like whether it's white or Asian? Did you have anybody that you associated yourself with? You know, I think when I was younger, I think I, lo- I just loved like white singer songwriter men. It was just like I for some like reason. Who? Well, like Jason Mraz, oh, obviously. Yes. Mm. Um, I was a big James Blunt listener. Um, John Mayer, all of those, you know, singer songwritery people. Yeah. Um, I wish I was like Lay, uh, Ray Lamontan, like you know, yes. all those people. Like, hey, good choices though. I mean, it was very embarrassing because like I wrote all over my notebooks like Mrs. Jason Mraz. So <laughs> I was like deeply in love. I'm trying to like downplay it, but I was like deeply in love with Jason Mraz. <laughs> but for some reason, I think I internalized myself as white enough where like the plight of the white man really mattered to me. Mm. Um, which is regrettable now, but no, I mean, it's okay. We all have our journeys. How about you? I mean, who was someone you related to? It didn't have to be Asian, like just somebody you could identify with. I don't think I identified with anyone. Mm. I think I know who I wanted to be. Okay. I think the person I wanted to be the most was Xena Warrior Princess. Oh, fuck yes. Uh, <laughs> I mean, the queer storyline. Well, queer it was so, icon. Yeah, queer icon. She's fucking strong. She yes. could like lead a whole army, take a whole army by herself. Like, I never understood what that represented for me because the, the color didn't matter, but yeah. it was like the feminism aspect right. that mattered to me. And I yes. was like, oh my gosh, like her and her best friend, right. you know, like being able to take, she could fight as strong as any man. Like this was so important to me. And I remembered I would like, you know, there's like the soft armchairs yes. and I, I would like sit on one of them, pretend it was my horse. And I was like conquering <laughs> yeah. like villages. And I would like remember doing kicks inside oh my, my living gosh. room and punches and like envisioning that I was taking on like all these armies by myself. And for me, that was powerful. When I finally thought about like, Asian person, mm-hmm. the people associated me with Margaret Cho because oh, okay. at that time she was a little bit thicker. Right. And um, I'm like, being a thick Asian woman, she was literally the only person that represented that. And uh, she was funny. I guess people thought that I was funny. You're very but funny. I think you're thank very you, funny. Thank you, baby. But I didn't 
really resonate with her either. So it was sort of tough because like you would see Lucy Liu, you'll see Margaret Cho. And then I'll be like, oh, that's it. Uh, <laughs> Are those all my choices? And they're older. Yeah. There wasn't anyone our age growing up that no. was like. I mean, for me, like, I think Brenda Song had a, like, she was a Disney Channel girl. Oh, I didn't. I never knew about Brenda Song. That's she, so interesting. She was just like in Disney Channel movies. A lot of times she's like the best friend. She was in um, mm. Sweet Life of Zach and Cody. Oh, she played okay. a character. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I thought she was gorgeous. And she kind of reminded me of my cousin. So I thought she was really cool. And then later on, I guess more in high school, um, Sandra O oh was definitely like, you know, I was a big Grey's Anatomy person oh hell yeah which is how you hear your white people music because they had great music selection on that show a lot of sad white guys so many sad white guys playing music on there but like sandra oh was like this um really beguiling figure because she she didn't play as asian it was never mentioned really that she was asian she was just a character i love that embodied that so fully and same with brenda's song but they spoke perfect english which as a combination for the brain was almost like, wait, what? Yeah. Because, I, I mean, Lucy Liu, I think like it was more of a movie star. I didn't even really think of her as like within the echelon of like approachable or whatever. But um, I guess she's in that vein, just not as influential in my life. But a lot of the representation we were seeing were like Mickey Rooney mm-hmm. um, and, mm-hmm. you know, Bruce Lee, who's amazing and Jackie yeah. Chan. But um, they're kind of glorified, but they're glorified in such a way where it's like definitely ethnocentric. You know? And can you believe the kind of burden they must feel to right. feel like they are representing all of us yeah. with a role or like, you know, there's the tokenism, but there's also like there's that one person for this and right. one person for this within the Asian American community. Right. And uh, I can't imagine how that must feel, because nowadays it's like you see there's a whole slew of diverse people and characters to choose from. And people are more willing to expand, yeah. you know, the repertoire, not, not the repertoire, but like also like the types of people that we cast in projects. Yeah. So sometimes I wonder like, oh, my God, what is it going through these kids heads as they see yeah. this nowadays? Because I remember back in the day, I love to write stories in my notebook and I always wrote myself as brown haired, blue eyed, right. with pale skin. Totally, totally. Because that was the ideal. That's what your Barbies came in. That's what all the cartoons you're watching have. That's what yeah. everything you see on TV. And like, I think it's also interesting thinking about it right now is that an Asian American story, an Asian American representation, like a lot, like Lucy Liu, it's like this again, and another catch 22, kind of like we were talking about with House of Ho and Bling Empire. It's this catch 22 of like, Lucy Liu came to us in these films fully formed Mm -hmm. with an Asian face, but with no context. Yes. There's no context of really like what kind of Asian she is, where her parents might be from, how she, you you know what I'm saying? You could put her in different outfits. She is the Barbie doll. Exactly. In a way. And it was like almost convenient because she's hot and a good actress. You know what I mean? And like can fight and do the role. But at the same time, like I think part of what we were missing is this also additional contextualization where it's not Jackie Chan who's from Hong Kong mm-hmm. who's not Asian American decidedly mm-hmm. who's Asian mm-hmm. um, who stars in American film so right. th- that contextualization but it's also not our situation it's not necessarily relatable exactly yeah. that's why it's so hard to relate yeah because there wasn't enough examples seen on screen totally because like there's a range of experiences yes you know D- did you ever experience internalized shame <sighs> yes I think even just having parents who have accents 
Mm-hmm. Even though my parents' like accents weren't great, I remember I would have like some friends from school, and they'd meet my parents, and they would like, not even trying to be mean, but they would like mimic my parents back to me, and I remember just feeling like I don't feel like that's how my parents sound. Like mm-hmm. that's not what I hear when I talk to them, mm-hmm. and it was like this deep embarrassment almost of like I don't want people to see my family that way like I'm very proud that they speak as much English as they do and and quite well I would say you know but just getting that cold water in the face moment of like your family is seen as some sort of other was embarrassing and I think second to that is I think one time I was like on the phone with somebody and they were like oh like I didn't know them and and they were like oh you must be Asian and I was like what and they're like yeah like you talk like that and I was so mortified because Having been born in the States, raised on American culture, I always wanted to somehow at least linguistically pass as white. Like that was more important to me than I realized. Yeah, I think I talked about this in a past episode about, you know, bringing that attitude home to my mother Mm. about, um, you know, speaking Mandarin. And I moved from the Netherlands, but even then so, mm. I wanted to sound American as soon as possible. Because yes. I was made fun of for my Dutch wow. accent. Like, <laughs> Which is so weird because now it would be deemed like super sexy. It's, it, yeah, no, yeah. seriously. Yeah. And it's like, they can't, when people can't put a finger on where you're from, they're like, yeah. wait, hold on, you're, you don't sound Oriental or you don't wow. sound Asian, but either they way. They don't know where to place you. Either way, you're othered. Right. Like, it doesn't matter, like, mm. if it's not from what they're original stigma was right about where it is that you're from or how they frame you in a Mm. way that's normal in their heads so I just I've always felt internalized shame growing up I didn't want to be Asian at all I wanted to (laughs) be white passing right and especially in New Jersey and then um, moving to California, it wasn't until I moved to California that I saw so many Asian people around me that I started to accept um, my ethnicity and my culture. Right. And I, I talked about this, but um really thankful to my friends in high school who were Taiwanese and fobs, quote unquote, <laughs> yeah. you know, who helped me accept myself and understand the tribulations and trials of my family and what it took for them to get here. So um it is definitely a journey towards accepting and reclaiming that. How does it feel like living in this COVID-19 era where tacit or veiled racism against Asian Americans, the veil has kind of been lifted. It's tough because Asian covers so many different types of sub-communities within our group. Yeah. Koreans look out for each other. There's a Taiwanese community. Yeah. You know, we're all fed different types of media. So to come together as a general collective is very hard to fathom. Right. Also the fact that like our, our parents or their parents' generation you know, worked so hard to get us here. And that was on their own efforts rather than a collective effort. Why would they have to look out for other people in their community? It just... It's almost shocking sometimes, you know, because I think I I grew up like... And not that my parents aren't giving, but it's like I grew up with my parents as pastors who were so giving to so many people. And the older I get, the more I realize like that is limited to their ethnic enclave, you know? Um, And they are very generous, but it's like they don't really work that hard to understand cultures that are not theirs. And they intersect. Mm -hmm. They don't know how to do that. When in fact, a lot of minority communities go through the same perils within, you know, this climate. 
I have a lot of feelings about the racism against Asians, you know, with what happened with Trump and the coronavirus. I mean, a good a good example is like the backlash of what happened with Biden's Secret Service. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that was so crazy. So like for listeners who may not have seen, like if you watched the inauguration behind mm-hmm. Biden was an Asian-American male who was very close to Biden the entire day mm-hmm. and all of a sudden came out on conservative conspiracy websites that, oh, this is his Chinese handler. Look at this like um like you know he obviously xi jinping like sent this guy to like handle (laughs) him you know it's so crazy and like all he is is an asian american secret service member who by the way also worked for the trump administration and he's highly decorated highly decorated i was just like so disconcerting because i think no matter how american we are like we will never be american enough to certain subsets of this country to certain people in this country you know And that's frustrating because, like, you know, I'm born in Santa Monica, California, grew up in San Gabriel, was raised in Walnut, went to school in Irvine. I've been in Southern California my entire life. If you dumped me in the middle of Taiwan, like, I would really struggle to survive because I didn't grow up there. You know, I... I know the language, but I don't know the culture. I don't know how finances work. I don't know. I wouldn't know how to do my taxes, all these things, right? It wasn't by choice, by birth. I'm American and there's nothing I can do about it. But to kind of know that like no matter what I do, I'm I'm still going to be viewed as an other. This like this was a reminder of that. And that was like, it was just sad. It and was it's, just sad. it's just crazy because if you think about the Latino community or you think about the Chinese community. Yeah. I mean, we've been here, not we, but like the Chinese have been here since the railroads. Yeah. You know, for like a very long time. Very, very, very long yeah. time. And like the fact that it's like, go back to your country still exists. Like, yeah. it's just crazy how you're right. The, the tragic aspect of it is that sometimes when you, you come to it a certain place and you've been here for generations upon generations, even over hundreds of years. Yeah. And I, you know, I promise you guys, we're not here to just bitch about things. Um, we just need to talk about our feelings. Yeah. Like it's frustrating. It's frustrating that like Jeremy Lin would get like that. No one would recognize him when he would try to go, you know, to the, to the gym or to the basketball courts. They'd be like, no, we don't know who you are. And he's like, I'm literally on the team. Yeah. Anyway. But like, I think what's what we have to be cautious of and aware of is our history, right? Mm-hmm. And I think if we're not aware of our history, it's easy to be gaslighted or it's easy to kind of buy into a lot of this, you know, model minority stuff, right? And so, like, we just have to be aware, like, because there's been a lot of violence towards Asian Americans throughout the history of America. And a lot of that violence is quickly swept under the rug and forgotten by design, um, and so if we don't stay informed and reading about it and just like within our own communities, like the fight, uh, the, the, the constant push against is not going to really make sense. I feel like this is going to be something that we're going to have to continually keep each other accountable for, yeah. but also provide support Yes, because it's an ongoing conversation and an ongoing fight. So um, I know you want to touch on the Chinese Exclusion Act, Priska, but I want to also follow up with something interesting about this. But you go first. We're pretty much jumping into topic one here. So I think to kind of kick off topic one, I think one of the shocking things for me, because Roxy was a social major, right? And Mm -hmm. I was a social minor. And in all the history I took before college, I never once heard the words Chinese Exclusion Act. Really? Never. And to be fair, 
I was not the best history student. So this might be on me. But I remember sitting in for Asian American sociology, like 101 or whatever it was with um, Mazumdar, mm-hmm. who was Love. like the best. Yeah. She's like queen. But she was talking about the Chinese Exclusion Act. And one, I was embarrassed that I hadn't heard of it. Two, I, my entire back started getting hot because I was just like, I didn't know. I didn't know that our people, people that look like us were treated in such a way where mm. at, like literally we were banned from coming into the country and this wasn't lifted. Let me see. It wasn't lifted until 1943, which is really recent, much more recent than I would have guessed, you know, that's and, so scary. And it's something that's so rarely talked about. Like if you're not in an, uh, like a higher level learning situation, you're not really actively hearing about it. Not nearly often enough, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, it's a stain on this country's history, in my, in my opinion, you know. And it's no wonder we have so much work to do. It's no wonder. People always choose to write how we define our history right because history is what makes us right there's so many unspoken stories and things to this day we still don't know about in our history books i mean if you think that this one year in 2020 how many chapters that could write do you think that that will really be covered in the history books for students in the future no all the nuances all those social political you know threads that are like imbued in the fabric of that year yeah all the things that happen no probably just one or two major points and Speaking of Chinese Exclusion Act, I also remember touching it a little bit of it, maybe in middle school. Okay. But it was like a paragraph. Mm -hmm. And that was it. It was like, this happened from here to here. Yeah. But it didn't tell you why. Right. Right. It didn't. You were also not. the repercussions. You were not old enough to really want to ask more or like didn't know how it affected you. Because you know what? The past is in the past and you're not mature enough to really understand the nuances Mm -hmm. of it. So I was watching this TV show called Warrior. Okay. Have you heard of it? I think my mom watches it. Okay, so Warrior was a show on Cinemax, and it was basically using Bruce Lee's writing. Like, oh. he wanted to develop a show while he was alive, but didn't get to oh. by the time he passed regarding sort of like a Wild West sort of scenario, but also talking about um, the divide between the Irish and also the Chinese during the time leading up to the Chinese Exclusion Act about how the Chinese, you know, the, the companies kept taking Chinese workers from overseas because they're cheaper. <gasps> yeah. And then the Irish losing their jobs. Right. And then creating all the hate. Being real upset. Anti-Chinese. Yeah. And, and where the there's all this violence and rioting that occurred. And then um, in order to, you know, preserve it, it just, it just, it, it's so crazy. Cause like watching this show just shows all the same fucking shit wow. that we are going through right now. Shit. Like n- some of this hasn't even really gotten gone away. Oh my God. You know, yeah. like why the minorities are being paid, you know, they're willing to work for less and all of these themes mm-hmm. that still resonate today. I mean, all in all, Warrior is a great show. Like yeah. I think watching it educated me so much about the backdrop of why things led up to the way they did, right. why there were gangs in Chinatown, you know, what people fought for, what they believed in trying to protect their communities going against the law and like how you know police officers were were bought out you know and uh but and it's also a really great martial arts show so it's great but i agree it's funny that you brought this up and you know originally i thought we were gonna like do this topic today to specifically talk about you know women but it's funny that we talked about the overall sort of like the asian american narrative at the top of it because 
I'm not saying this because like, I don't want to be a Debbie Downer, but the reality of it is, is that the perils and struggles still resonate today. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that an important thing to always remember and to be grateful for Mm -hmm. is that we stand on the shoulder of giants, right? We stand on the shoulder of so many brave Asian American men and women who came Mm -hmm. before us Mm -hmm. and and non-binary peeps, you know, um, who came before us. And uh, I think it can be easy to languish in the comfortable environment that we have been provided. Yes. And yeah, sometimes at the supermarket, they'll be like, where are you from? From or whatever, you know, sometimes we might get microaggressions thrown at us. Right. But we're not, we are no longer living under, you know, rat eating, you know, yellow peril times because of these people, brave people who stood up and fought. Um, But again, it's like we can't just sit here and soak in the comfort without continuing the push. A hundred percent. Maybe one day in the future, we'll be able to show all of our experiences. But right now, we're still in a revolutionary time when things are being shifted. Right. Right. So, So, okay. Yeah. Going to be tweaking this away from the big picture stuff. I really want to get into the personal aspects of this because I really want to talk about female experiences. Like when you were like younger, for me, it was just like, it wasn't so much about being white. I mean, the internalized racism towards myself did exist, but not so much in the forefront of my mind. I used to read a lot of YA novels Mm. and I, what were some, uh, sisterhood of the traveling pants um yes. and then i read a lot of like romance ya novels uh-huh. i don't remember i used to read a lot though. oh yeah and um give me some judy bloom man oh my god judy bloom oh. is so amazing yeah you know when you're a kid and you're reading a book mm-hmm. you always want to associate yourself with a certain character and the writer always writes as the main character mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. even when i was reading from the perspective of the main character i never saw myself as that main character right. so i'm always actively searching for another character written in the story that I could be that's me Mm. right like have you ever had that before yes definitely and I think I think ironically yeah when I was in trying when when I grew up inhabiting white bodies in my mind that was easier than when Asians started to have more representation like say in the early 2010s yeah And I felt more frustrated because I felt like I was more critical of whether or not it was a good representation. Like they were getting it wrong, right? Yes, exactly. And I would be embarrassed if I felt like it wasn't a good representation, whether it was in literature or in in TV and film. That's so interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. When I didn't see representations of me in books Mm -hmm. or in TV shows and movies growing up, I went to the, I flipped completely to the other side. Right. So I would like listen to Zhang Hui Mei or I'll listen to, you know, people who look like me, like sea uh, dramas or Taiwanese dramas. Wow. And then I'll look at those people look like me, right? Yeah. Like they're, they're Asian, but then they're all super skinny. They're like 40 kilos. Cause obviously no one who's like an Asian yeah. star could be more than a hundred pounds. Yeah. Also didn't look like me who's been plus size her whole life. Right. And then. I don't resonate with those women because they behave so differently so than I different. do. Yeah. 
like they're quiet quiet yeah. and they would chase they're the demure. man forever <laughs> yeah. and like suffocate him to win yeah. his affection until one day he wakes up and is just like i realize i love you i'm like wait a second i don't feel like that applies to my life no. either it was frustrating right. trying to find someone or some thing to look up to feeling yeah. like i could be that and the closest thing was xena but like yeah she was a greek you know fictional character totally. and then um even more frustrating than that yeah. was you look towards representation because you're trying to visualize what your future could be. Do you right. understand what I'm saying? I, like, I hear you. Yeah. And then, so I went to my parents. Right. And I'm like, what am I supposed to be? And they go, doctor or lawyer. Oh my gosh. So do you, so I feel like the plight of this whole female Asian narrative, you are only limited to certain things. You can True. only be certain things. Right. Because no one showed you the possibilities of what you could be. Right. And the burden of that doubt. Yeah. You carry with you for a long time. Yes. You know, I totally hear you because like I have this down for later, but part of like being an Asian American musician or in the music space, right? I realized pretty early on that maybe in my lifetime or in the span of my career, I would never reach quote unquote full acceptance. Wow. But, and I was like, I'm okay with that if I can be part of this cycle or this progression of the generation below me or, you know, those who are slightly younger than me, if they can see what I'm doing and then never have to doubt whether or not it's possible, then I would have played a role in the continued progress of all of this. Do you so know what I'm at what point in your life did you come to this revelation? Because I feel like that's not something we would be able to grasp yeah. at a young age. I think it was like, it was maybe like when I was auditioning for The Voice and like... Oh, how did that go? Wait, can well, you share this It real was quick? fine. Yeah. It was okay. Like I had a couple auditions and some of them were open auditions, which was actually really fun. And then some of them were like casted, you know, yeah. so you get approached, which is like nice. Wow. Um, much easier. Um, and then like, I think the casting director, you know, I kind of like... I talked about getting bullied and stuff. And she's like, hey, like, we thought you were really great. But just so you know, like, we have a couple, like, Asians on deck. So What the fuck? She's like, well, it's L.A. There's a lot of people. And, like, yeah. Wait, we they have, actually like, said that? Yeah. They actually said that. And, like, that was... And the thing is, she she was Asian. Hold up. Yeah. So it was, like... It was, like, I don't think she was trying to be... No, but this is a different time. This was, like, what, 2011? 13? 13? Yeah, this yeah. is still sort of... 14? Before this conversation fully yeah. formed. So it was, like, the call came from inside the house type of stuff. Holy you know what shit. I'm saying? Yeah. Just, like, real quick to sort yeah. of piggyback on this comment. Yeah. yeah. I never sought representation, but wow. I've heard of my friends who have, you know, to be directors and stuff yeah. like that. And then... Before this conversation about, you know, gender equality and uh, racial equality has fully formed, some managers and uh, some agencies would say, we already have a woman on our roster. Jesus, yeah. In That's comparison to what? In comparison to what? Like yeah. the 25 guys they have on there, right? one fucking woman? Yeah. You can't give us one slice of the fucking pie? Yeah. Like, like, Jesus. That's not even one slice. That's like literally maybe just a sliver of the yeah. crust. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's And it's crazy because those like comments used to fly yes all the time you know brazenly openly yeah it was known and now it's like i mean we talked about a promising young woman last week but it's like that movie is like literally 
parodying what was like a lot of the conversations the guys are having are yes. like parodies of like just what reality was like for a very long time it might seem outdated now to be honest like watching it i was like okay that's kind of outdated but yeah. honestly like five years ago it was completely normal yeah because it was based off brock turner right and and so i'm like oh, oh and that was what 2013 yeah, so yeah i think maybe that was like set during that time I but see. i was like this makes you know I'm still very triggered by that movie, but mm-hmm. I'm so glad we're talking about everything in this context yeah. because it sort of is like bringing out a lot of revelations for me, you know, and old things that I remember people saying. That right. I just shoved away because that's all you could do at the time was just shove it away. Yeah. I think what we were looking for was to toe the party line and be part of the status quo. I think that was the goal for Asian Americans. You just want to be visible. You want to be visible and you want to play by their rules. Yes. And I think we're in a different playing field now where we know that we we have the authority to ask for things. I think we're in a position where we, we, we're getting to a position where we have more star power, more eyeballs, bigger wallets, where we can, as an Asian American community, enact change, be heard. And, and part of that was we're very adept, not me personally, but we're very adept at the internet. A hundred percent. And I think YouTube was a big reckoning where like Asian Americans started amassing these followings of millions of people, mm-hmm. millions of people to the point where like, I remember in like 2010, large houses were laughing at YouTube. Yeah. Ha 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 at YouTube. And now it's where they go to find talent. And not only are they f- discovering these talented people, they are benefiting from the talent. So things have completely switched topsy-turvy. So I think in like where we are now, we're no longer just trying to play by their rules, but we are creating a new era in entertainment. We're part of that. We're not the only YouTubers, you know, but I think we, it's fair to say we were a big bulk of the, the beginning of YouTube fame. And I think collectively that's exciting, but also it's like, going even further into Mm -hmm. this topic is going back to examples like we'll just use house of hope for example or like yes representation is soaring and we are finding finding encouragement empowerment through others in our community to speak up and use our voice but as a woman in your family if we're diving deep into outside of the community bubble into your own personal Mm. life your role as a woman right it's like for so long women were sort of the second choice, right? So beyond Asians, we're talking about like the female narrative now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think one of the the daughter in House of Whole was just talking about how everyone listens to the oldest son. He determines everything. He does the bare minimum. And you see all the women in the show yeah. having to do 300 times the work just right. to be accepted yeah. as normal. Well, I think this is, again, this is yet another conundrum with right. the Asian American, right? right. Let's take it from the American perspective. An Asian woman is much more agreeable to them, much more acceptable, much more sexualized, found to be sexy, found to be marriageable. And do you think that comes from being submissive? I think it comes, like, it probably stems from being submissive. It probably stems from, you know, certain wars who had Asian comfort women or or, or prostitutes Prostitutes. and such, um, or or just servants, you know what I'm saying? I I think it starts there. But it also, like you said, it harkens back to the days of the Irish labor people. Asian men were stealing their jobs. And as an attack on that, not just the Irish, you know, but a lot of people, 
their attack on Asian males was actually to emasculate them and also market them, literally market them, like have posters made of them being not trustworthy, slanty Making them look like rats or monkeys. Yes, exactly. As animals. So, right. So then as an Asian female, you're like, okay, well, on the American side, I mean, I guess it's better, but also it's like being hypersexualized is not fun. And being relegated to a submissive creature is also not fun. But then if you take it to the Asian side, typically within an Asian family, and I'm fortunate to not be in a family with sons, right? But like in an Asian family, like the patriarchal dynamics are definitely at play you know it's interesting because like i always use my family as an example but i also see patterns of it in so many other families like yours as well where it's like uh patriarchal by society Mm -hmm. matriarch by family right my dad's gonna listen to this (laughs) hopefully my mom doesn't listen to this (laughs) sorry mom um but my dad has you know i've always asked my dad i was like why is mom so controlling right in every aspect and my father was like because there's so little she can control outside the household so she controls everything Ah! inside that's something very private but also is something very real because um women were not allowed to work women you know if you marry into a family that is your job your first priority is to be a wife and to be a mother right right and um you know i even from that one episode of house of ho you see the daughter saying like i'm not happy yeah i want to do other things and i'm yeah. at a, she's in her she's 40s. a lawyer oh yeah she yeah. wants to do other things i'm like how come we are we are slaves to a certain rule book that doesn't technically really exist but it's the social construction of it that's fed through us through generations that we um are force fed to swallow yeah and even our parents who i think i would credit them to being pretty lenient on those asian rules on us like oh, I mean, yeah we're very fucking we're very lucky. lucky like mom i love you you're my best friend like yeah. please <laughs> yeah like right? we're really fortunate um and still i think our parents are more so than ever, they have no rule book. They've been developed and mature enough and self-aware enough to drop the rule book that they knew. Yeah. But they kind of don't know what to do with us either. Exactly. So that's kind of where we're at. There's it's so interesting. Many- yeah. It's like, it's like, I think my mom, she always likes to use this thing where it's like, well, in my culture or yeah. like in my family or in Taiwan we can't yeah. do this or you would be seen as x if yes. you did this like yeah. i remember i'm i'm sorry we're using these references so much but that's because we're using it sort of as a starting point for this conversation like playing empire right. like i think one of the girls is like pregnant and like yeah. she her her boyfriend hasn't married her but they have like two children yeah. and like and christine like the deepest shame the deepest shame and yeah. christine is like oh like because she comes from that very tight like strict family with yeah. her um, parents-in-law she's like i would be seen as a slut yeah if, and that just what like yeah. when i saw that i was like how come the shame is on the woman when he's the one refusing yes. to and it's always on women like i think what's triggering about watching these shows sometimes is even though they don't go too far into it sometimes which is not a bad thing the things that are a given tell more than the things that are explicitly explained it's the truth yeah you know, and yeah. it's like women carry the burden of it. Yeah. And um, and that's hard to yeah. watch. And it turned out like her and no, no spoilers, but like, I mean, a spoiler. Yeah. But like it turned out her husband, uh, Christine, right? Yeah. 
it was her husband's sperm that was the issue and not her, but her family blamed <gasps> oh her. Oh my God. For, I know. No, thank you juicy. for sharing that. Yeah. Thank you. Oh Which, my God. Again, is she going to your suffered point. so much. She like, suffered. She almost died. Yeah. Her whole traumatic experience yeah. was based on. And he never copped to it. He never owned up to it, to his fam. And so she bore the brunt of the shame. Oh my God. That's yeah. heartbreaking. Yeah. And so, and that's complex, dude, because I, I know a lot of Asian American men who really, really struggle with their identity in America, right? And really struggle and, like, are mistreated and, like, seen as less than a man, which I think is fucking awful because I think Asian men are super sexy. You I know? think Asian men are fucking sexy Me as too. fuck. Yeah, and Ali Wong was the first one to come out and say it. <laughs> yes, no, but it's so true. Yeah, yeah it's so true. And, and But then at the same time, within the family home, this, this, these are the contradicting realities that we coexist in. And I think that's why... It's oh like we that's yeah. why we need a th- 360 degree view of Asian Americans, because we are not one thing. Exactly. We're not just studying machines. We are balancing filial piety and capitalism. <laughs> <laughs> we are balancing honoring our ancestors and living in the moment. Live, laugh, love. You know, like these are the and I, obviously I'm being super general, but these are the things that are at war within us like asian and american given the amount of violence towards asians not just like physically but like mentally and emotionally the term asian american itself is two titles warring against each other and we feel that within ourselves and we're not comfortable in certain spaces and i did want to ask you when you are in a room with mostly white people or mostly non-asians do you speak differently yes i will say um i think a couple months ago i went out to eat with a friend in malibu and he and i are both minorities and back in college like i could do this without blinking an eye cuz i was always mm-hmm. surrounded by i never thought about it right, right? But well, because you're surrounded by <laughs> University of Chinese immigrants, yes, right? Yes. And then um, also in Newport Beach, I was working as a retail worker and I wasn't, you know, wow. just eating at a restaurant. And now I could afford to. Right. So then we were there. We were sitting. We were sitting outside. And um, there was everyone was white. Everybody was of a different, you know, salary right. <laughs> price point than I yeah. was. And I started squirming uncomfortably. Wow. And he's like, what's wrong? And I'm like, I, I just, I just feel really uncomfortable right now. And it's, it's not like, it's different too, because you're, you're not just talking about whiteness. You're also talking about like different layers of the people around you like these are privileged ass people and they talk differently with the food they order what they talk about is completely different than you know the white people that we meet in silver lake or like echo park or it's just a different type of community and um the way my voice would go higher right and when your voice is higher that means that you're more cautious of what it is that you're speaking you're mindful of how you're coming off even your body language of how you're speaking yeah right you're not going to just sprawl out and laugh rambunctiously as one would sure sure you know and you come off maybe as a little more childish exactly and then um you're just trying to assimilate Mm -hmm. again that comes in right which i think look every environment there are calls for appropriate behavior but there's something about 
about that discomfort or the otherness that I cannot deny. Yeah, it's definitely code switching. Yes. And I think even even in just talking about this right now, I can feel what my body does, which is like you were saying, it's almost like there's straightening a, of the spine. A, a ride yeah. in my in my back. Yeah. And on top of that, I start over enunciating because I want every syllable to come out and let you know that I am indeed American. I am indeed born here. Because it's almost like when they meet you and they see you as Asian, they immediately assume what your accent might be. Yes. And I often see with like retail workers or like hotel people, and this is, I'm, again, it's not a blame thing. It's just like a, a, an observation. I notice them visibly relax when they realize like I'm not a native Chinese speaker. You know, I, I see them relax knowing that they can converse with me in English. And that's just, it's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. But death by a thousand cuts because if this happens all the fucking time it's exhausting you know it's interesting that you bring this up because it's so true my diction does change right and i remember you're bringing up a lot of memories coming to me from when i was growing up shit and um i remembered like walking in somewhere and then people like slowing down their speech with me you know or like not out of not out of like anything malicious no just out just, of assumption just, just yeah just like slower or like you know using simple words yeah and then once i lower my voice or like seem cool yeah you know also or make you, a joke you also you know how to joke seem, with them you know how to joke you yes. know how to seem cool because i realize yeah. that like what you and i do priscilla normally i think because of like what we went through and yeah. how we grew up is that like you and I like to ice break yes. a lot. Yes. Like we like to ice break in a group. We like to ice break in any new situation. We like to create comfort right away. Right away. Because that discomfort that you and I have known, yeah. we don't want that. Let's end it. Well, let's end it. We're yeah. just like, I am not othered. Like mm-hmm. I am you. Mm-hmm. I'm just a different casing. Yes. Right? Yeah. You don't have to feel fear or apprehension no. with me. I'm, I'm toothless. <laughs> yeah. I have no teeth. But... Is that making ourselves small? Is that part of, even though it's an effective way to handle this, is it okay sometimes to make people sit in their discomfort? Is it okay to be very outspoken, opinionated, and unapologetic as an Asian woman? Yeah. To walk into a space and act like you own it. No, it's so hard for me to do that still. Yeah. To this day. It's something that I've learned and I'm trying to unlearn. I... I know I take up space normally, but only when I feel comfortable. Never when I feel uncomfortable. No, 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 absolutely. I think this became the most clear to me because, again, I've been in SoCal my whole life. I've always been around Asians. You know, moving to Oregon was when I was like, this. these microaggressions are so consistent and so tiring. And, like, I think it's not our job, it's not our occupation to teach but it is up to us when we want to decide to make things a, a teachable moment. You know what I'm saying? Yes. We, it's not our job to teach people. Like, I'm not saying everyone go out and find a, a non-Asian white person and teach them something. I'm not saying that. But you do have a decision when you're met with a certain situation of whether or not you want to turn that into a teachable moment or not. Right, exactly. But it all takes work, right? And everything is a process and progress takes many years. It all takes time, I think. But the effort is small changes and small decisions over a long period of time to actually affect that change. And look, having a conversation like this with a friend, a coworker, or even a family member Mm -hmm. to have them understand this and take ownership over how they hold themselves. Like I... 
wish, whether it's like in relationships or like as myself in a professional setting or in life in general, that I don't need to make myself small for anybody that I could just be wholly me. Um, I know that's probably not possible because the world and human beings don't work like that, but, or humanity doesn't really work like that, but I could hope. That's what's funny to me is like, again, like we've been friends for 12 years now. Yeah. For me, watching you go into a room, to me, my perception of you is that you are 100% yourself. And that has in turn inspired me to be more 100% myself when I walk into a space. Because I've seen how you do disarm people and sometimes confuse people because (laughs) they're not expecting it. Yeah. But at the same time, like you're also helping to educate and, and teach and push people yeah you know and disarm them a bit and so it's funny because you you've been impacting me and teaching me all of these years and you've been teaching me all of these too but it's crazy because we need that we need that in each other and like again like you and i are not perfect no and there's far from it yeah there's a lot of times i walk from an away from an interaction and i'm like fuck i let them think i'm just a submissive asian I think nowadays it's like instead of being so hard on myself, it's just like, okay, well, let's pick up and and brush off, you know, the kind of dust that was kicked on me. Yeah. And like, let's see what we can do the next time. How yes. can we better the next time? How yes. can I stand my ground again? Right. Yes. So this is an ongoing process. Right. Well, guys, we've got a lot more to talk about. And so we'll be back after a short break. Hi, Goatees! Next week, we're kicking off a two-part series on our dads. Roxy and I each chat with our dads about their lives and get a surprisingly intimate look into their inner thoughts, struggles, and dreams. In true Two Horny Goats fashion, we laughed, we cried, and we felt things. We can't wait to share this series with you, so be sure to subscribe to Two Horny Goats wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. Okay, see you then. Bye! I've transformed into a marshmallow. Oh my God, I'm going to eat you. Yeah. Wait, let me get a graham cracker. <laughs> and a piece of chocolate. <laughs> so part of our two horny goats retreat is we're going to make a campfire. Mm. Um, we're definitely going to eat some s'mores. I'm so excited. And roast some weenies roast as one does. Weenies. I know. Like, I feel like, you know, Roxy just moved. I just moved. Roxy's getting back into work. I'm getting back into work. And we've just been so like chicken with our heads cut off kind yeah. of thing. And so it's nice to be able to take this time to like rest and recharge, even though it's short, you know? Um, so we're really excited to hang with you guys. And yeah, we have a lot more to talk about here. The second half of the show, what we kind of want to delve into is like how we want to take back our narrative, right? Because a lot of us, our, our narrative was e- either stolen from us or was suppressed in us or we were relegated to the side, right? The sidelines. Mm-hmm. So Roxy, I do want to talk to you like being a queer Taiwanese director. What are some things that you want to like intentionally push against and continue to tell stories of? You know, I think this sort of goes back to me not knowing that this was even an option for me growing up, right? Like this role or like a role that has the ability to influence and change. And Who, who told you that? Who told you you couldn't? The world didn't show any representation. Representation is so important, right? Mm-hmm. If you don't see it, how could you be it? Yeah. Like I would say it to my mom, like mom's like, but there's no women that do that. So what makes you think you can? It's like the world is too hard, you know, like 
I'm sorry, but if it doesn't exist, if we don't see it, it's not possible. So I never knew that this was a path for me until somehow, I think we talked about it in our career episode, like yeah. how things unfolded to be in service of that. I've always been an outspoken person, yeah. but I've always been very careful of what I say. Mm-hmm. And I've always been submissive, even though I'm funny and outgoing and I'm the wisecrack, you know, the clown, the one that makes people laugh. I was the clown. That was my role. Mm. I'm not the lead character. I'm the clown in the story. Right. So I never knew I could take my own narrative. It wasn't until sadly to say that people around me told me that I could. And it's usually the white people, you know, who are the allies who are just like, like I said, my friend Jason, who's like, take my equipment, you know, and then my friends coming together to help me make my movie. And allies are so key. Right. Mm -hmm. Allies are so key without them. How could any of this be possible? So we want to thank all of our allies in helping us. So even though there's still all these struggles we still have to fight against, you know, we are so thankful for your presence. Like, honestly, it wouldn't be possible. So me being where I am now, Mm -hmm. um, if you want to tune into how I got here, like you could listen to our career episode, episode two um, of season two, but never could I have ever imagined that someone be queer identifying and a woman and being Taiwanese, specifically Taiwanese and not Asian, because that's how I used to brand myself was just Asian Asian. American director. And now I could verbally use my own identification to define myself rather than having people define it for me. Hmm. And then um, once I, the way that I got here wasn't to say anything as sad as that sounds but I just wanted to get to a place where I could before I could define the narrative so get to a position first and then you could change the rule book right so now that I can I realized that um people were saying to me oh you're gonna do Asian American content are you going to just do you know Asian stories and I really didn't want to I wanted to do science fiction I wanted to do horror it doesn't matter what color they were at the front I just wanted to be known for my talent and it's hard when when people see you as something they're like you can only really say this mm. as your story and sorry to, to go really quickly i talked about authentic authorship last yeah. year and um you know i think it is important to have an asian person or a taiwanese person tell a taiwanese story mm-hmm. because that's authentic but if i'm taiwanese american i also can tell an american story because those stories are free for us to tell yeah They belong to all of us. Absolutely. Right? So for me, my intention, while I am able to, I want to fight for women at the front of the story. Mm. I realized I directed one movie called Painkillers that featured a male at the center of the narrative. Okay. And for the longest time, I was like, I don't understand. (laughs) Like, how did men direct women's stories for so many years? I don't understand. It's so hard for me to understand his prerogative sometimes when I'm like, but how does she feel his wife? You know, like it needs to come from an honest place. We need to normalize stories that were against the grain. We need to bring more. We have to fight for more of our stories to be at the forefront because there's so many different experiences, intersections, right. And wealth of experience that need to be excavated and seen at the surface. It's a very exciting time. And I'm so grateful that I have that ability to influence. And um, I think I'm still sort of working on shedding that belief that there was a rule book that I had to live my life a certain way rather than me with the pen in my hand, yeah. I'm the one writing the rule book, yes. bitch. Well, and it's interesting because so I've done 
um, copywriting for brands for like right. 10 years. Right? Yes. And I almost like hearing you say, how have men been writing women for so mm-hmm. long? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's almost like as if there was this Hollywood brand of woman, woman as a brand, you mm. know, like so like Target, Starbucks, woman was a brand. And they could adopt this brand voice and write it from that perspective. But this woman brand isn't that closely matched to reality. Mm-mm. And it wasn't 3D and it wasn't fully formed. It was just this kind of cookie cutter 2D. Cookie cutter 2D relic of the past that maybe got a little iOS bump every year, but like not <laughs> far enough. And it, it had to be comfortable enough for men. You know, it had to be. And it was like almost like men could adopt this brand voice and write on behalf of women based on this. You know, and like, I think when I view it that way, then we need to constantly be rebranding this. We need to constantly be pushing it, you know? And so it's so great that, you know, you're at a place in your career where you can make these conscious decisions because it's not like earlier in your career where you had to make a meal out of the peanuts that you were served. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, But now mm -hmm. you are choosing the menu. Right. You are picking each element you know you are defining it and you know i i was talking to uh, my friend Alyssa, who you know our friend Alyssa, who's writing on a disney animated series and the um i'm i was just telling her i was like i am so proud to have you in these writers rooms advocating for people of color because you are helping shape minds of children who are then going to grow up in a world where diversity is a given Equality is a right. Yeah, she actually like named a character after me. Oh my god, that's amazing! Uh, I can't wait to see this. I when know. does it come out? Um, uh, well, I don't. I think next year. Sometimes. Oh my god, you know, animation I has, can't like, a long wait. Tail. Yeah, but I think I can't. I don't know if I can say anything, but she did name a character after me, and she made sure that they pronounced my last name correctly. Oh my god, yes. yeah. Like she was like, and she sent me like a recording of whatever, and it was like it was like spot on, and I was like, oh my god, this is. This is so like monumental, like because every layer of this is representation, you know, so like I'm proud that you are in the rooms in which these discussions are actively happening. And thank you again to our allies. Thank you to our allies. Yes. Again, this is not Roxy and I pissed off and angry. We're pissed off and angry, but this isn't just, <laughs> this isn't just about that. No, of course not. Like I would say in terms of speaking from experience, once you realize you have the ability to make your own rule book, right. once you get to that place where you're like, oh my gosh, I redefined my own life. Yeah. Imagine what you can do yeah. by redefining the collective, Absolutely. by joining in on the conversation, yes. paying attention yes. and starting dialogue. And honestly, it's going to enrich the work. Yes. If men have been the ones writing for this female branding, females can first of all, females should be writing it, right? Like fucking get out of here yeah. right now, right? But like we can only enrich the art that we that we make by adding our voices to the table. The beautiful thing about humanity is what a tapestry we are, right? Yeah. And if you don't include like your thread, which is like your narrative and your story, like the human race suffers because of it. Yes. The human race lacks because you of it. You are rich yes. in your own way. Exactly. Like I know that so many of 
women who are older who don't see themselves as visible or useful. And it's so crazy. Like my um, family in Taiwan has this worker yeah. uh, who's Indonesian. Her name oh. is Suli. I love her. Oh okay. She's like beautiful. She's like in her mid 40s. She has like two children that she sees once a year wow. in Indonesia. She works 24 hours a day, what? seven days a week, no rest and takes the money and sends it to her kids so they can have an education in Indonesia. And I remembered she I did a tarot reading for her one day. And she just couldn't stop crying. She's like, I'm not anybody. I'm nobody. She goes, if I could give my life to you know, working so that my, my daughters can have a better future and that I can make others happy, then I hope Allah will enrich me in my next life and give me a better life. But this life I'm meant to suffer. And I'm like, oh my God, no. If only you realize what a wealth of experiences you have, that your life could be written into a book of many chapters, just as worthy as the most famous A-list celebrity. You know what I mean? And I love that we're talking about this because, yeah, sure, we were angry and, you know, we talked about a lot of things in the first part. But right now it's like, look at the hope that we have, you know, like the you have the ability to influence one person just by having a conversation and um, you have power. I just want to also acknowledge that yes. every single one of you yes but like Prisca, did you also go through something similar actually like very similar okay and, and sure. um I, I think exactly like you said i think when you're first starting out when you're still doing it people ask you are you writing music for asian americans and i think this was extra hot because a lot of youtubers were writing specifically for asian americans they're writing songs about boba they're writing songs about Chinese Exclusion Act, which I was like, wait, what songs are written specifically? Asian I know. Well, like just even I would say some like Filipino songwriters were catering to a very specific experience. Uh, and, and mm -hmm. you know, I think in a way I was jealous because that was not my bag. Like I, I respected it. I knew that people needed that music. Right. At the same time, I understood that I am Asian American. Mm -hmm. So anything that I write becomes Asian American art. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like redundant to say I'm writing for Asian Americans. So mm -hmm. I'm just writing. Right. And given my experiences, given what I look like, given my family background, no matter what I write, it will be sourced. The source of it will be from an Asian American body. Yes. Right. And right. so it, it, it's funny because our notes on here are almost the same. <laughs> you know what I mean? But like this was my, I was like, it's almost like, okay, if you, if this was bottled in Arrowhead, the source is the name that's it's Arrowhead water, you know? And, uh, and for me, it's like anything that comes out of my body, it's Prisco water, you know, or pee, um, <laughs> as you know, we know it colloquially, <laughs> but like it is from my body and therefore it is sourced from an Asian American. And so no matter what I do, it will be Asian American art. Um, it will be Asian American music, you know? And so I would tell people, I'm like, I'm just writing from a human perspective and there's no escaping my body and the color of my skin. However, like, I'm also not intentionally writing from that perspective. If people relate to it from that perspective, well, you know, awesome, like amazing. Mm -hmm. But also like in this constant desire to further the dialogue between Asians and white people, right? Just to simplify it. To, to want to continue that dialogue, I want to engage in it in a way where it can be relatable on a human level and maybe then continue to 
offer my humanity. That's as so tribute. beautiful. Yeah. That's so beautiful because again, I see parallels in mm-hmm. our journey. Yeah. Because it's about finding the connective tissue in right. our human experience. Yes. Because at the core of it, yeah. we all go through this yes. same shit. Yes. Like everyone has had parents. Everyone has had, you know, some sort of an experience. Everyone has failed yeah. at some point. Absolutely. And that's what we want to be able to engage and bring everybody together Have for. that be the starting point. Hell yeah. Because then we can bring you, if we can connect as humans, then I think our thinking is if we can connect there, and this is both our best trait and like a trait <laughs> we need to work on, right? Yeah. But it's like we know how to relate to people, to connect with them on a human level, and then we can bring each other to the specifics. Yeah, and then we'll slowly seduce you into our cave of and wonders. Then you'll be eating pineapple cake before you know it. Oh my God, and you're going to like it so you're much like as well so as stinky tofu. much, and durian for that matter. <gasps> mm, mm, durian. Don't you just love? (laughs) But that really is true. I think that highly resonates because I think our drive to create art is so that it could reach people. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Not just for our community, but outside of it as well. And I think that brings us to kind of a wrap up point in a way of the future. Right. If we think about the fact that we are standing on the shoulder of giants, then it would be a logical hope that we want people to stand on our shoulders in the future. Mm. And uh, we may not be giants, (laughs) but we're Amazonian women. No, we are giants, even though we're both below five foot (laughs) two. But, you know, I think that like we want our lives to not be in vain Mm -hmm. and that whatever we use in the short, beautiful life we have, even though we do go through the struggles that we do, that we pave the way during this revolutionary time so that our daughters and our sons could have it in a different way oh i have so many feelings about that you know right because it's like within our like the the work that we are doing and some of the hardships that we do encounter we may not see the resolution in our lifetime but it is also the commitment to continue doing the work even though we may not see the result keep up the bernie sanders fire yeah yeah. Like that man. Yeah. Oh my God. Has been fighting his whole life. His whole life. Yeah. And he, now he's like old and grumpy is still just as fury. Yeah. You know? And it's like, you know, I don't always like to talk about like legacy because I, I think that's like pretty ego driven. Right. However, like you never know how big an impact you can have on someone. But it's like two horny goats. I'm so proud. We have like about a hundred listeners each episode. It's Woo-hoo! amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing. And yeah, some people could say, it's a drop in the ocean. Maybe maybe if we went to a brand and we wanted to do affiliate work, they could laugh us out of the room, right? But it's been so impactful to have this ongoing dialogue with all of you because it's continuing this work that we all want to be doing. Yeah. And it's helping us contextualize and remember um, to stay focused. This might sound a little off topic, but I promise I'm going to bring it back. A couple couple years ago, I, I learned that my great-grandfather was killed as a martyr in China right before the um, communist revolution for being an educator. He was martyred in the town square. My mom never met this man. I've obviously never met him. 
But hearing that, and first of all, it was classic like Asian family where like they just dropped it in the line chat like it was casual. Like I think my cousin was getting like promoted to being the principal of a high school. And then my aunt was like, oh, yeah, runs in the family, just like your great grandfather who was was murdered in the town square for being an educator. (laughs) Well, that came out of nowhere. That came out of literally nowhere, which like every every Asian, every immigrant family can relate to that. Like all of a sudden these atrocities are just kind of bombed in front of you in a group chat. But. This person who I never met, that impacts me so deeply mm-hmm. because I'm blood related to him. It's kind of like Aragorn, like the same blood runs in my veins. Um, but it impacts me so deeply because he may never have thought of me, but we're connected. And it is a deep reminder f- for me that with within my own family, there were people that were driving this pursuit And you know what that means? Mm. It means that you're standing on the shoulder of giants. Standing on the shoulder of giants. Yeah. So you guys just remember to keep the good fight. As always, Prisca and I are always here. Our DMs are open to talk to you about this. Like, it's always nice if you guys want to email us, but we appreciate all of your texts, all of your individual messages to us. It means so much. It means so much. And like, we all know that you all feel the same way as well. And we also appreciate our listeners who are not Asian American. Thank you to all of you for always listening and always like, opening up yourselves to like conversations and stories like ours so we deeply appreciate that and i hope that this for for our non-asian listeners i hope this isn't like i hope this doesn't just come across as a call out or like a you know again like just berating you in any way Mm -hmm. like we cannot do this without all of you and diversity is the name of the game and inclusion yeah and on that note it's time for Ah! So I talked about Warrior, the TV show, early in this episode, which yes. felt like, I don't know. I felt like this episode started three hours ago. We're going to thank you, Abe. Woo, thank you, Abe. We're going to cheers. Cheers. Abe has been engineering the past. He's also been cooking all day He's for been us. cooking uh, all day. This has been the best retreat, like, cheers. ever. Thank you. And he also has an ass that won't quit. You <laughs> I heard can't it here say first. that, but Prisca can't say that because <laughs> they're married. Yes, we are indeed married. But yeah, so cheers to our horny ghost. Um, thanks for being on this ride with us. Yeah, we love it. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's some good Highland Park Scotch, Hell y'all. yeah. Hell mm. yeah. Only okay. the best for my baby. Woo! <laughs> okay, so basically, uh, I talked about Warrior, the TV show. Yes. I love this show. Okay. okay I gotta get on this. It's a little bit like Banshee meets... Um, Anyways, it's like a marsh. It's really, really well produced. And okay. I don't think people have seen it enough. It's like, yeah, it's, like- it's all Asian cast. Justin Lin created this show along Ooh. with um, Bruce Lee's um, daughter, I think Shannon Lee. So then it stars like Andrew Koji, Olivia Chang, Jason Tobin, who I love, and Diane Joan. Hot. And it's all like an all Asian cast. And there's, um, there's, they also feature like authentic martial artists. Like Andrew Koji is a very esteemed martial artist. Um, so is Joe Taslim. And, um, it's just been so wonderful to sort of get this backdrop of everything that happened in San Francisco, Chinatown leading up to the Chinese exclusion act and all of the riots that happened in Chinatown, as you were saying. So it's not like, it's sort of like a strange coincidence that you wanted to talk about that Mm -hmm. today because I was literally just thinking of the show and I, I was watching the show super recently. Like I just think like last week or something, I benched all of first season and it was, 
was just uh, very interesting to just see the context of what happened during this time. So please watch it. Uh, it is one of the best like produced shows that I feel like people haven't seen. It's now available on HBO Max, which is why I saw Hell it. Hell yes. So that is my first pick. Okay. And then my second pick is, <laughs> like I said on my last episode, uh, life's been pretty crazy, just full of work. And uh, we were under quarantine, but now Newsom has lifted um, a lot of um, yeah, that's restrictions. Totally that's yeah, really cool. That's totally cool. Um, but still, I'm at home. Not freaking out. Not freaking out. No. And um, freaking I, out a little. I, I, I've been sleeping yeah. on overnight oats. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> and I just realized this is the laziest, but <laughs> but almost amazing thing that I've never heard of. Fuck yes. Fuck yes. And so I have an overnight oats recipe that I like to make in my mason jar yes. the night before, and in the morning I have a very easy little yes. breakfast. Oh, you just and pull that amazing. out of the fridge. Don't put it out of the fridge, and then I just oh, go to yes. town on it. You just stick a spoon in. Ooh, girl, you don't talk that to the. Careful, bottom. we've had three shots of scotch. <laughs> Now, I don't talk Tony to me like that because I'm get ready get on that oats recipe. So I put in a cup of oats, right, and then mm-hmm. I put in some oat milk because you want to mesh oat milk oh, with oat. Shit. It's a little bit incestuous, yes. but I feel like you kind of go with it. Yeah, you know, just ups it on that layer two time. Oh my gosh! Add some texture. water. Add oh. some water because it's just gonna balance out all that milkiness. Okay. Or maybe you don't want to. Oh, maybe you want it chunky. Maybe you like it chunky. Do you guys like it chunky? Tell us at hello at do or Nico. And then I add some honey. Yeah. And then I add some cinnamon. Yes. And I add some chopped apples. And then I mix it in like that, like so. And then I turn the lid super tight. (laughs) (laughs) And then I pop it into the fridge. Yes. And guess what? I love it popped. You wake up in the morning, you open that fridge up, and what greets you in your freaking face? It's almost like you're a princess in a Disney movie. Everything's done for you. Everything's done for you. And you just open the lid up. And you stick a spoon in it or stick whatever you want in it, your finger, whatever you want, and then go to town on it. And then you're just like, I'm wishing, I'm wishing for the oats I love. There you go. Yeah, it's like a Disney princess. Exactly like that. So my overnight oats recipe is just like cinnamon apple with some honey in it with some oat milk and it is fucking bomb it is healthy and And then afterwards i eat a full breakfast of like bacon ham and and, uh also three cheeseburgers but uh, prisca what about you casual (laughs) Casual. that's like regular meal yeah um yeah how am i i've been overeating oh we're talking about unsolicited pics (laughs) okay um three shots of scotch (laughs) y'all forgive us i'm suddenly realizing like how white my list is but it's cool (laughs) I will work on recommending more Asian American music. Um, I do want to recommend Tiffany Day. That's not my like official pick, but check out Do Not Sleep on Tiffany Day. Uh, She is, I think, Vietnamese American Mm. from Kansas. So cute, so spunky. I did a gig, gig with her out in Can- in uh, Wichita, and she's so cute. And I think she's new music coming out, and she is an Asian American singer songwriter who you should not sleep on you know when you hear a really good song you just feel jealous that you didn't write it that's like when you know it's good yeah all of her songs i'm like fuck she's so good um okay but i have to be truthful and reckon with the fact that my list is very white um so yeah black bear it's a movie by lawrence michael levine it stars aubrey plaza it stars christopher abbott of of i think he was in girls and sarah gadden don't know if I'm saying that right, <laughs> but it is 
um, just a nice indie film, a little bit trippy, a little bit folding in on itself. Aubrey Plaza is fucking amazing at being normal and then creepy as fuck. Like, she's great. It's like not quite sci-fi, not quite, you know, it's it's Ooh. just kind of this like, very interesting. It's not sci-fi, but it's, I would say, it's abstract at a, in a way that could be described as like potentially... Maybe sci-fi is the wrong word. It's abstract. It's an abstract mm. film. It doesn't really explain itself. It's a little trippy. Keeps you know, keeps you on your toes. And then um, another sad white singer-songwriter. I told you guys, I love a sad man. I love a sad man singing. I can't help it. But J.P. Sachs, um, his EP, Hold It Together, it's like... It's so, it's like, it's so good. It kind of feels like you're in like in college again. Oh my God. I love that. I know. And he's just, he's such Playing a the good music on your writer. iPod, I like know. on repeat. I'm my nano, like on my oh, nano I'm the nano. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh my God. Um, but he is, I, I've been really inspired by his songwriting because he writes in such a conversational style. And I, again, often talk about the silk dress and how it should look like it hasn't been touched. Mm. And I feel like he he makes the song sound as if it was like your friend leaving a message for you on an answering machine. It's so conversational. It's so natural, but actually to write a song like that is extremely difficult. Right. It's extremely difficult to make it look casual. Right. right and right. he fits a ton of words in there that shouldn't work. And he has these like choruses that, that are like hooks that really shouldn't work, but they do. He has one that's called, um, I'm just a sad corny fuck. <laughs> and you're like, that shouldn't work. It shouldn't work. None of it should work. But it works. It works. So take a listen. Another sad, sad guy I can't singing. wait to be in my feels for that. Oh, my God. So hard in your feels. And he talks about breakups. And he need talks, a anyway. whole bottle of scotch for that, yes. for sure. Well, and so enough about me and J.P. Sachs and, like, this moment we're having together. But are you guys ready? Because Roxy's about to pull a card for the, for the collective. collective. Drum roll, please. Remember, you can learn more about Roxy and her tarot readings at Instagram.com slash sun. Queen Tara. Thank you so much, Prisca. Roxy, Thank you for it. <laughs> All right, y'all. So the card for this week is the Knight of Wands. Oh, so Knight of Wands. It's so crazy because every single time I pull a card for our, so our episodes, they're so fucking relevant. I feel like, like our grandmothers are here. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. They're One's like definitely yelling at me to pull up the cardigan I'm wearing right now because I'm exposing too much of my shoulder. Oh my God, so much skin. And I have an ankle out, so. <laughs> just watch out, Just like world. your cleavage is just like all over the place. Stop trying to seduce Prisca. <laughs> um, okay, so the card this week is the Knight of Wands. Knight of Wands talks about taking action. <gasps> Shit. God damn it. God damn it, right? Yeah. So, but the Knight of Wands talks about is so it's a Leo card. Holla, holla, holla. Abe. Abe, Abe oh, it's a Leo. A, it's, a, it's, a fire, it's a fire card. So, uh, Leo, Sagittarius, Aries. But masculine energy that associates with fire signs is all about taking action, oh. being the one to move forward with something. You know, I think with us, we do a lot of call to actions on our episodes yeah. as well. And for this, this episode is always about like having conversations, you know, like, uh, being the one to write your own narrative, you know, write, 
take the pen to the paper and write your own story, how you want to manifest, how you want to take action for what it is that you want in your life and what you want to see things change. So please like take that fire energy, be assertive and go out and do it. Like even if it's something small, like it doesn't have to be a huge leaf, but Knight of Wands talks about just taking that first step. Yes. So whatever it is that you're planning on doing it, Knight of Wands represents a good time for you to do so this week. Yes. I love it. I love it as well. All right, guys. Well, remember, have a horny week. Our lovely goatees. And remember, stay horny. is hosted by Roxine Prisco, engineered by Abraham Kim at the Shire Studios, music by Abraham Kim, artwork by Kong Yen. Please visit us at twohornygoats.com. Have thoughts or questions for us? Email us at hello at twohornygoats.com. Oh, what a thing to have done.